Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this week, we are talking about Will and Grace, Season 5, Episode 16. What is the title of this episode? The title of this episode is Women and Children First. God, this was a weird episode. It was super weird. So we've kind of been like on a pretty good streak lately with Will and Grace episodes. Mm-hmm. We had last week where we had Minnie Driver guest starring, and that was lovely. Yes. And even the first two parts of Figmalion were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we definitely had increasing returns. Uh, this episode, I would say, is a step backward. Yes. It's a... Uh, Big it's, step back. It's kind of interesting that we've had two guest star episodes in a row, and we've had one that's like a perfect example of what to do, uh-huh. and one that is a perfect example of what not to do. Precisely. Like, this was sort of like taking a step backwards and accidentally tumbling down the stairs. Yeah. So uh, let's go into the episode description, and then we'll talk a little bit more about this episode. Yeah. Jack encounters his former babysitter, guest star Demi Moore, and lapses into childlike behavior. Rosanna Arquette and Lee Allen Baker also guest star. Great. (laughs) Good for them. Okay, so before we dive into the plot, I want to take a moment to address a thing that has always bothered me. Okay. Is it Demi Moore, or is it Demi Moore? I think the fact that we don't know the answer says a lot about Demi Demi. Also, Demi Demi sounds really catchy. Like, right, cause like Demi it, Demi 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 Demi. Because <laughs> like, it's Demi Lovato. And I grew up with a friend who was Demi. I think it's Demi. Yeah, but I think that's just because she's trying to be fancy. Is it short for anything? I don't think so. Because I think my, my friend growing up was short for something. Mm. I can't for the life of me remember what Demi was short for. And my brain keeps pulling in lines from my immortal. So it's just like, my name is Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. And I'm like, clearly it's short for dementia. Well, I did a hot Google search quick. And according to Wikipedia, there is a strong emphasis on the me in Demi Moore. So. All right. Did it say if it was short for anything? No, it is not. Demi Moore, you know. I hate you. That was not okay. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is canceled. I'm leaving you. (laughs) So, uh, Demi Moore is kind of an odd guest star for this episode. She is, uh, we'll just discuss her character a little bit. She's playing Jack's babysitter. Yes, from back in the day, but not exclusively. Yes. Um, there's a very real sense that she and Jack are the same age. Like, not even, like, a little bit different. Like, there's a very real sense that, like, she was babysitting him in an inappropriate age to be babysitting him. She has pigtails as an adult woman, which is perplexing yeah so to give the full context of this um we have kind of like you know how jack is already in like sort of an arrested development situation demi moore's character is in extreme arrest development because she hasn't stopped babysitting Mm -hmm. since she was babysitting for jack she has a throwaway line about what she did after high school which involves her getting a euro pass and babysitting her way across europe Mm -hmm. and while i would make fun of her for that i actually do know some people from college who like did that they nannied their way across europe well i think what you just said is exactly the conflict slash problem with this plot line which is that this character is so weird and so arrested development that she's referring to it as babysitting when she clearly has a real career yeah she's clearly a nanny right but she's just so like infantilized that she's like i'm babysitting forever she like literally makes another offhand joke about making friendship bracelets and it's right it's it's very strange because it's essentially we're seeing demi Moore play someone who thinks they're still 17 it's very 13 going on 30 yes that's exactly what it is. Maybe that's where they got the idea for this episode, or alternately, maybe yeah. that movie already existed. I don't really know where those fall concurrently in time. I'm sure 13 Going on 30 must have come out before this episode. 13 Going on 30, I want to say, was like a 2004 movie, though. Uh, I mean, really? It's that? Yeah, you're right. It's 
2004. Really? I was right? You were totally right. Oh I can't God. believe that. I'm so good at this. I never would have guessed that that movie came out after this episode of Will and Grace. Maybe they ripped the plot line off. Maybe. Sort of. <laughs> um, but Demi Moore is just such an uncomfortable guest star. Like, yeah. she's given this very uncomfortable plot line. It doesn't really suit Demi Moore, like, who is kind of a sex symbol at this point. I mean, a little bit faded. We did a quick, like, look back at her career, and this is definitely a low point for her. This is when she, it's referred to on her Wikipedia page as a hiatus. Yeah. Like, it's right before she gets back into the acting game with, like, her Charlie's Angels sequel appearance. And then, you know, her dating Ashton Kutcher for some reason. Right. But it's it's a clearly a pick-up-my-fame-and-go-back-to-work episode, and I don't think it does that for her. I would be very surprised if Demi Moore's people looked at this episode and were like, there it is. That's the Demi Moore magic we've been looking for. Yeah, it's just a weird episode for her to be in. Like, like just last week, Mini Driver really played to Mini Driver's strengths, which mm-hmm. are kind of caustic British wit, very funny, boobs. Yes, and Demi Moore played to none of the things that I know Demi Moore for, which are sort of like sultry, sexy, intelligent mm-hmm. roles. Like, she's best known for like being like the love interest of Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Right. Where she goes on this deep emotional journey to like reconnect with her dead loved yes. one. This is like as, it's like if you had a thimble full of emotional depth, she is that little tiny hole at the bottom. You know, <laughs> like. She's not even the thimble. She's not even the thimble. I think the other thing is like, Obviously, guest stars sometimes play opposites of the characters they're typecast. Like, the classic example is Britney Spears on How I Met Your Mother, where Mm -hmm. she's playing the nerdy receptionist, and she's like, oh, I just don't know how to get boys. (laughs) Right, and it's funny, because it's like Britney Spears, and like, literally everyone could fuck her. Like, I, I see the logic of it. They're like, let's play a character that's not Demi Moore, but it's just not landing in execution. And I, I, I want to say that I don't know that it's necessarily anything to do with her acting. No, I think her acting is actually pretty great. I think she commits extremely well to an, exa- an insane role. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's actually insane that she has this role. This, because it just keeps getting more and more uncomfortable. Yes, it's just like, it's like reverse Nambla or something. Like, it's yes. the most uncomfortable I have felt watching the show in a very long time. Yes. So let's break this plot down. Yeah, it's not like... I'm an adult and I'm going to treat this boy like an adult sexual object. It's like, I'm an adult pretending I'm not an adult and I want you to also pretend you're not an adult. Right. It's like this weird non-sexual role play in which they're both infantilizing each other. Well, and it has elements of, like, it doesn't have a sexual element because obviously Jack remains Jack. And extremely gay. But there is kind of an immediate undercurrent as soon as he talks about having her on as his babysitter that immediately screams sex worker. Right. Also, her name is Sissy, which is just like... Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. It just made me think of Sissy Spacek the whole time. Yes, also that. But like, I don't know. I just... I remember being little and that was like a thing that... Never in my family, because my siblings and I always refused to acknowledge that we were sisters and we were never the type that mm-hmm. were like, sis, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, and so I just remember though, like some of my friend's siblings would like run up to them being like, sissy, do this for me. And I always was like, oh my God, can you go away? Can't you see? We are playing Harry Potter right now. <laughs> um, but so like that just like sent like a very visceral reaction down my spine of no. <laughs> like my entire body was like, I don't want this. Well, and I think because you can see how well Demi Moore is in the character and the episode being written very confidently, I think the writers thought they really had something here. I And that's what's almost more alarming to it me. It makes me kind of hope that after this, whoever was in charge of writing this episode went and got their brain scanned for tumors. Yeah. Like, this is, like, 
this is like you took a bong hit and came up with this idea. This is stupid. Right. It's it's just, it doesn't really work, but it's held together with enough narrative logic that it does carry through. I mean, right. It, like you have the bits where like one character is the straight man and like says, this is weird. Don't do this. But then gets caught up in the scheme. Right. You know, like we've seen this pattern in many other Will and Grace episodes and for the pattern, it's executed extremely well. But the plot is so uncomfortable that it's hard to enjoy. Right. So, yeah. Basically, after Jack hires Sissy to be Mm -hmm. his babysitter, Will finds out. And he rightfully points out that we're like 40. We don't Mm -hmm. need babysitters. And then the show decides that the best way to solve that narrative plot there is for Sissy to babysit Will. Yes. Which is, like, uncomfortable because then, like, we actually see, I think, her babysitting Will more than we see her babysitting Jack. Yeah, we see her and Jack, like, have, like, one interaction where she, like, they, like, reminisce about Mm -hmm. how great it was when she babysat him. Right, but Demi Moore's character is, like, getting Will s'mores and, like, helping him with his homework. Right. Like, and singing him a song about his homework. Like, it's really weird. And, like... Like, rewarding him with treats, and it's yeah. just fucking weird. And I think it's, like, a quick aside, too. Like, we haven't mentioned this in a while on Will and Grace, but I remember really early on we talked a little bit about how the characters' ages are very different than you'd see in a contemporary sitcom, mm-hmm. where traditionally they're a little bit younger than the characters of Will and Grace are. Yeah. Um, And I think that's another example of where, like, if you were dealing with, like, even people in their late 20s, it's way less uncomfortable to see them kind of regressing to a more juvenile moments right if this had been some characters in their late 20s kind of regressing and like maybe not necessarily hiring a babysitter but like really like becoming very reliant on their mother due mm-hmm. to like imposter syndrome or something yes that would have made a hell of a lot more sense to like become a little bit whinier and younger and immature right because you need that care but i mean like you've got these characters who are in their 40s yeah and they pointed out in the episode like they can't even ignore it like it is mentioned like that that is the level of going back to like you are flashing back to the point in time when you were alive and it was like the 70s right like that's what we're dealing with with these characters is that like 70s maybe early 80s but they're in college in the 80s right yeah it's just it 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 really just doesn't work on a fundamental level it's and it's really unnerving all the way through yeah and it's just Frankly, it just made me extremely uncomfortable that the episode thought the best way to solve the problem was to have Jack be like, see, you like being taken care of too. And uh-huh. not taking it that extra step to be like, oh, you know what? You're right. Maybe I need to find more nurturing relationships in my life mm-hmm. or anything at all emotionally mature. Instead, it was, yeah, I'm glad I briefly hired a babysitter. Right. And then, and then they resolved the whole thing by realizing that Jack can't afford her. Right. And then just dropping her cold turkey. Yes. He's just like, I could spend four or five dollars an hour to have you take care of me forever. And she's like, actually, I charge forty dollars an hour. And he's like, nope, bye. And yeah. then that's it. Well, or I would have really appreciated if, like, if it made sense for her character to be like, oh, I've moved on from babysitting kids and now I babysit grownups. Right, like, and I'm a sex been, worker. Right. Or like, something. Or even just not. Like, say, like, I just take care of people who can't take care of themselves. And, like, right. was, like if they in... gave this character some agency, instead of having her be... I hate to say a victim, but especially at the end of the episode, they kind of play her yeah. like she's kind of like, oh, I'm really sad because all of my friends keep outgrowing me. And, like... Right. There's, like, a hint of some, like, really big, like, mental health issue happening there. Right. The episode it has no interest in playing with. 
Right. It would be very interesting to see her like decide, oh, oh, maybe this is a good career move. I should move on instead of babysitting for children. I could work with like maybe people who have cognitive disabilities. Or I start a babysitting training service. Right. You know, like I teach classes to babysitters, but I don't physically babysit anymore. Right. But like there's no move. There's no forward motion for her either. She's just like, oh, my friends keep outgrowing me. Oh, man. And then that's the end of the episode. Yeah. It's. I just don't know what to do with it. Ugh, this whole episode made me want to take a shower. Like, I just didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like it. Let's talk about the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so the other half of the episode, the B-plot, is a little bit better in some ways and a little bit worse in others. Yes. To give the brief summary, uh, Leo is still in Africa. Yes. So Grace is having, like, one last girl's night before he comes back. Because being the terrible friend she is, she has made it clear to everyone that as soon as her husband returns, she will abandon them all. Right. Which is mentioned, but completely unremarked on in the episode. But whatever. Because it ultimately doesn't matter because of additional things that happen. Right. So the, the kind of uncomfortable thing about this is, and this point has been made kind of infrequently throughout the show. Yeah. Grace doesn't really have any girlfriends. Mm-mm. Um, she actually has more in this episode than I think she's ever had. Yes. We have, I mean, obviously Karen is there. We have Karen. And um, Rosario comes. We also have Ellen, who literally in the last episode we watched appeared to be pregnant, but isn't in this one, so. Or is, maybe, but just doesn't have as big of a pregnancy. But she's drinking wine in this one, That's so. true. Anyway. It doesn't seem like she's just had her baby. And then comes back Hansy Joe, or whatever the fuck we're calling that really weird molesty Massage therapist right. neighbor. She's just back and it's like the other episode never happened. Yep, we're just making literally nothing of the fact that she is literally sexually assaulted Grace. And not even like they left it at, like Grace wasn't sure about that. Like Nope, they're just glossing right over it. Yeah. Um, and now they're friends. So anyway, these four terrible people and mm-hmm. Karen are all in a room. With uh, Karen's party mix, which is a mix of M&M Skittles and mood stabilizers. And candy corn. Yes, and candy corn. Don't forget the candy corn. She doesn't actually mention the M&Ms and Skittles, but they're clearly in there if you look at the bowl. Right, of course. It can't just be uppers and downers in candy corn. That's ridiculous. Yes. So, basically, Grace is in this very celebratory mood because Leo's about to return and she's very excited. And then literally, just as the party's getting going and everyone is describing their marriages and Grace is, you know, going on and on about how hers is so perfect, the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And it's Leo. And guess what? Leo's not coming back from Africa for another five weeks. Which is so bullshit. And, like, also, we can't prove this, but Matthew and I both suspect this was a plotline on ER. Yes. ER did a lot of, like, off to Africa episodes. I I am almost positive there is one where someone almost came back from Africa, but then decided not to, and everyone back home was really grumpy about it. Or wait, maybe was it Grey's Anatomy when April was going off to Afghanistan for a while, and then she decided to extend her tour without telling anyone? It might have also been that. That definitely happened. I definitely remember that. Basically, this is a trope on TV shows where doctors go off to a foreign country to provide aid to this foreign country, mm-hmm. and then decide without consulting their partners to extend their tour of duty. And I I totally understand that logic. Like, you're in that space, and, like, that's your living and breathing. You're like, I can really help these people. But, but, like, if you're with someone else, you have to be cognizant of their needs. Right. Or you're not actually partner. I mean, like, Grace has just married this guy. Yes. And he already went to Africa without asking her once. Literally, they have been married for four months, and for one of those months, he has not been there Mm -hmm. and so at the end of this five weeks they will have been married for five months and he will have been gone for almost half of their marriage Mm -hmm. that to me screams problem right but grace doesn't really want to acknowledge that well and and that is i think it's really interesting because that's one of the areas where this plotline actually does work 
because she kind of goes around the room and like everyone's like, oh yeah, like you said your marriage was so great and this doesn't disprove that at all. Yeah, and everyone kind of supports her because she sort of like implies to Leo that she's fine about it when she's clearly not. And everyone who's in these other terrible marriages basically supports her in that decision. Yeah. They're like, yeah, don't tell the men folk about your emotions. They might think you got the vapors. Right. Like, And it's interesting because like they kind of do like a twofold thing here. First of all, Grace skips Karen when she's asking for advice. Which... Which is normally fair. Like, yeah, normally Karen would give really bad advice in this situation. That's, like, literally usually one of the rules of the show is that if Karen is giving advice, it is usually bad. And for one of the first times that I can remember, Will and Grace, like, actually, like, is aware of one of its tropes and works, um, and plays off of it. Yeah. Like, it has Karen not just get ignored and not just be kind of myth that she's ignored, but then the story moves on. Like... She actually, like, says to Grace, like, you should absolutely be asking me what's going on because I just had a marriage that I got out of. I know better than anyone else here what it is like to have someone who doesn't care about you. Exactly. But but you see Grace sort of try to rationalize that because Karen's marriage failed, she has no advice to offer. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that these other women in this room are describing what to me sound like failing marriages. Right. They're marriages where they're staying together, sure, but they're both... Both partners are wildly unhappy. And you know what? That's actually kind of been one of my... The most interesting tensions of this show is that this show loves to, like, rag on Will and Grace's disastrous relationship. And yet every coupling relationship we see outside of Will and Grace is completely dysfunctional and flawed. Yeah. With characters who are even less willing to get out of that relationship than Will and Grace are. Right. Will and Grace have a lot of good moments frequently work through their bad, and when they have really bad moments, frequently separate and come back together when they're in a better place. Right. I mean, that's even like the finale of the show originally is predicated on that idea that they aren't working, so they split up, and then Mm -hmm. they get back together like nothing happened. Right, exactly. And I think that it's very important that that is a central relationship to the show, but it really stands in stark contrast to the romantic relationships we see on the show. Mm -hmm. And so this is another example where we see Grace just accepting crap and instead of addressing it or doing anything about it, she's just prepared to listen to her straight friends and continue to accept crap. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that the show never externalizes that inherent conflict. I don't think that there's any episodes we've really seen where Will and Grace's relationship is compared to a normal or straight relationship or erotic relationship, whatever you want to call it, in a positive way. And yet there are so many examples where we see the relationship be stronger or more positive. I mean... Even Karen and Grace have a better relationship in this episode than any other one established. Yeah, and it's frustrating. But, so, essentially, we do see Karen come back to get her party favors, and Grace (laughs) does have a conversation with Leo in which she follows Karen's advice and tells him that she is, you know, pretty upset about it, and that Leo admits that he's sorry, and he doesn't come back Mm -hmm. or agree to come back, but he does understand that he hurt her feelings by choosing this. And then Grace, you know, kind of thanks Karen for, like, you know, giving her the advice. And really, I think that it's one of one of the things that is so often not discussed in our puritanical culture about marriage. Where, like, mm-hmm. if a marriage doesn't work out, we automatically assume that that person is in, inherently a failure at relationships. Yes. And not that, you know, some things in relationships aren't overcomable and it is better and healthier to walk away. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is a rare moment we see on television in which 
Karen is kind of lauded for knowing when her marriage was over mm-hmm. and being able to pass the wisdom of that on to Grace and be like, look, these are, there are some things that are unacceptable. And if you don't address them, mm-hmm. they will continue to happen. Right. Well, and, and that's actually an interesting point just to mention the revival briefly, because the show came back um, on Thursday. There'll be another new episode uh, mm-hmm. premiering probably either right before, or right after you're listening to this episode. Yeah. Um, but at this point where we're standing in the premiere, the show has promised that it's going to address Karen getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And while it hasn't done so yet, it seems to be doing so from a perspective of brand new experience. And I think it's funny that we're watching season five. Where she's going through where a divorce. Where she's going through a divorce. And I, th- I think that's fascinating from a, the revival sometimes pretending the show doesn't exist standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also helpful because like this could give us a blueprint for what that might actually look like. I mean... Mm-hmm. Karen is at her least terrible in the last couple of episodes, which have all featured her having to be more independent mm-hmm. and more reliant on her friends. And I think that's really fascinating. And I hope that the revival explores that tension a little bit more. I completely agree. It's also interesting to sort of see those roles reversed in the revival, which is sort of something we see on this show mm-hmm. um, that we had in, in a recent episode. We have Grace comment that she's the old married lady giving dating advice to Karen. Yeah. And in the revival, Grace is now a veteran divorcee. Yep. She and Leo have been divorced for a while, mm-hmm. whereas it's implied that Karen and Stan's divorce is new. So right. it'll be interesting to sort of see that script flipped too, to see how Grace navigates her relationship with Karen now that Karen is going through a divorce. Right. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Cool. So, in summation, um, don't let your doctor spouse go off to a foreign country country or continent um, because they will not come back. They will not come back. They will never come back. Actually, actually, that would have been kind of a bold choice for Will and Grace to just have Leo, like, go off to Africa and never come back. Speaking of things uh, that is a bold choice of Will and Grace, I'm realizing that in the episode where Leo left for Africa, but then he actually didn't, and then Grace got on the plane... We never got any resolution as to how she got back or he got there. You know, honestly, I was thinking about this. And with it being a 28-hour flight, I think the plane probably... To Zaire. To Zaire. I think the plane must make a stop in Yemen. So perhaps (laughs) she got off the plane and visited her friend Chandler, who lives on 15 Yemen Road, Yemen. Yemen. (laughs) I'm just just spitballing here. Spitballing here. She got off. She visited Chandler. There's just a layover in Yemen. On their way through the time portal back in time to Zaire. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Yeah. Story 15 checks. 15 Yemen Road. Yemen. <laughs> oh. Amazing. I also love that episode of Friends because of the fact that it was before 9-11. So, like, Chandler could literally make it all the way up to the gate and then be faced with the decision to actually purchase a plane uh-huh. ticket to Yemen. Uh-huh. Yep. I'm not a Janice apologist. But I will say that her character has clearly aged better than you'd expect. She's aged better than Ross, for sure. Certainly better than Ross. Probably better than Chandler. No, I think Chandler is still perfect. Chandler is still flawed. Chandler is still flawed in his perfection, except for everything to do with his father. Chandler has stayed flat at flawed, whereas other characters who are flawed have gone down. And other characters who are flawed have become increasingly more problematic in the era of Me Too. You know what's weird, though, is that the womanizer on the show, Joey, I think he's the best guy now. It's either him or Chandler. I really do think Joey is genuinely the best guy on the show and no one acknowledges it. I, like, I don't think he, like, he sleeps with a lot of people, but he's not a womanizer. Discuss. 
we'll we'll discuss this on our next on next week's episode of our friends podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Tess, why don't you tell everyone where they can find us if they have any questions about friends or Will and Grace? <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. That's our main social media. We are at Not a Couple Show, but you can also find us on Facebook, on Tumblr. You can send us an email at notacouplepodcast at gmail and we post our show on Podbean and iTunes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. Uh, next week, we return to the saga of Figmalion. Figmalion Part 3. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. This episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Hi, Liza. Thanks for listening. This episode of Not a Couple was sponsored by every other NBC hit, other than Will and Grace. ER. Friends. The Office. Parks and Recreation. Do they have Cheers? Alexa, what network did Cheers appear on? This might answer your question. The original network of Cheers, the TV show, is NBC. Yay!